Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 711. Let's go to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. Uh, I'm really excited about this one. This is is one that I even got personal investment, not that I'm a part of it, but I'm just a huge fan, and it's the Black Tapes Podcast. Uh-huh. They are putting podcasts at a new level. It's something I haven't seen. It's a docudrama, but it's actually like some guys had like, oh, this would be a good book idea about a podcast scary story. And they're like, how about we do it as the podcast and make it like the X-Files meets Serial? Oh, wow. Dude. As a person who travels in the car and enjoys podcasts, Chris, you've got to start listening to this. It's real addictive. All right. It's uh, the first season. The first six out of the 12 episodes are out, and they just finished their Kickstarter and are doing the second half now. It's about a woman who lives in the Pacific Northwest who works for an NPR show, starts doing a show about crazy jobs, meets this crazy doctor who's like a skeptic, and she starts interviewing him, and there are black... Uh, cassette tapes that have like evidence from things he hasn't figured out how to debunk yet he's like an amazing randy type but the ones that she starts investigating the black tapes are things where he's like well science hasn't figured out how to unsolve it yet and they're all paranormal mysteries oh that sounds awesome dude it's scary it's super interesting every episode has its own self-contained story and then adds mythos to like the story we've of gone the back to the days of the radio play oh yeah it's, it's fantastic are there sound effects or is it just oh it's it feels like it's basically like listening to serial or this american life and then you have to remind yourself that it's not real like the production value on it is outstanding. All right, so the Black Tapes podcast, Katie. I, I have another podcast actually. So podcast, podcasts. Well, you guys can both do that. That's it's okay. Not, it's not. We like... did shoot each other. Look like stay out of podcast town. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know that he was doing one, and I was like, "Well, I'll do one too." But this one's totally different than that one. A while back, I had I had promoted a. a podcast about people hiking the pacific crest trail on the appalachian trail but i i found another one that's really great it's called trailside radio and it's this guy daniel is hiking the pacific crest trail and uh it's really interesting he's he's uh interviewed the like for example he interviewed the first two women the solo hike the pct as well as the first two people to do a winter through hike of the pct and the sound quality is really good and i've been emailing with him actually asking him how he gets the sound quality that good <laughs> Trade on the trail secrets. because it's really impressive that's fantastic um, i think it, i only talk great. to them in brick rooms <laughs> and again it's called trailside radio excellent um i'm just going to promote cuz i want people to come out i'm doing the fun comfortable tour in orlando and tampa august 7th and 8th and then the weekend after that i will be in sacramento and San and Jose, and then a bunch more dates just got added, uh, Dayton, Boise, Salt Lake City for the fall, so go to FunComfortableTour.com to get all the info for that business. This episode is David Wayne, who was here to promote Wet Hot American Summer, um, the first day of camp, which premieres on Netflix now. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, you, so wait, you is watch it, all of them? All of it. All yeah. of them. That's, all at that's, once. That's my all Friday. That's all yeah. that happened. So they basically made a prequel that's now a series, <laughs> uh, like a, a limited, a, a short run series. For it's as funny as it is hard to explain. Uh, It's uh, the poster is so fantastic, Uh, and uh, David's great, and he's he's one of our friends, and so it was. I'm so glad that this this piece resurrected Wet Wet Out American Summer. I hope I hope they do more. They finally got all my. Everyone came back. It's so fantastic. (laughs) Here's the Nurse Podcast number seven eleven with David Wayne. Now entering Nerdist.com. We're all set and going into barrel, the mode of the airplane. Does what? Do not disturb works just as well. No, completely uh, shut off. What if it lights up? It won't. No, not on do not disturb. Oh. 
You know, the, the, the watch will still... Uh, I the watch will still catch. He's not wearing mine. I don't care. All right. Fuck. <laughs> no, fucking fuck technology. Huh? That's what I want to talk huh? about. Huh? Let's get into it. I don't want to. I don't want to. Although we, any feathers, Chris. We, do, we do need it for for people to listen to this. That's true. Podcast. So fuck some technology. Don't gently fuck some technology. What are you sort? What are you I'm sifting through? Jonas oh, some more. Lead. Thank you. Oh, Matt's giving so Jonas slack. <laughs> <laughs> David Wayne is the guest. The movie is What Hot American Summer. Television show. Television show. It's a television show on Netflix. That was started as a movie and now is a, a television, but it's not a television show technically. It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a enemies. new thing. It's a new form I, I, of media. I don't think it's a t- television show. Yeah, how do you like that, Jonah? It's a Netflix thing. <laughs> I wish people could see your face. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people could see. I wish people could have seen the dis. Mm. The oh, oh really? Thought I could get one win today. That's, <laughs> that's early yet, Jonah. Yeah. Dead wrong. <laughs> dead wrong on this one, motherfuck. <laughs> Uh, but congratulations! That, that's such huge for any for any fan of comedy to see that uh, the Wet Hot American Summer got to come back after. I mean, it, you, I I'm would, the biggest fan myself of it. <laughs> I feel like all my cells have been replaced, so I didn't make that movie, and I'm a big fan of it, and I'm psyched to see it come back. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> d- does it? How long ago did the conversation start happening? And and was it anything that you thought would ever? I mean, was there a oh someday we'll make a? Well, I mean, I know it's not a sequel technically, but well, Michael and I, Michael Showalter, the co-maker of this with me, and I had this dream of doing more Wet Hot American Summer very early on because the first time doing it was so incredibly fun, and we just loved how it came out, and we loved the people, and we loved the experience, and it just it was always a dream. But then it got increasingly more serious as we talked about it because the movie kept growing in stature from being a total failure when it first came out. Uh, and then soon we did it. <laughs> <laughs> did they tell you that when the movie came out? Did, did they go, well, this was a failure. They, if, if the studio would even have bothered to call us and say anything, <laughs> maybe is what they might have said. They even changed the name of the studio. <laughs> so that they couldn't be tracked down. <laughs> yeah, I give more credit to, for example, the head of Universal after my movie Wanderlust came out a few years ago. And I talked to them on Monday. And the, uh, the head of Universal's like, this one didn't work. <laughs> and it was great that it did the numbers were low enough that it was unspinnably bad so that it was there wasn't this like we'll see how it goes next week or let's you know that there's ways there's ways to look at the demos that might be okay and they were like no this didn't work do you and do you appreciate that as a totally appreciate it i totally appreciate well anytime any executive or agent or anybody speaks in normal truth it's rare and welcome Oh, that's nice. So then, what do you do with that information? Like, what do you, how do you respond when do you go? Okay, yeah. <laughs> you say okay, moving on. Good. What else are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, that's what I. I one of my most uh, uh, incredible experiences in my whole career was when I got shafted so hard and in such a, a lame way for this job that I thought I was going to get. And or was it the movie Shaft? Yeah. It was, how did you know? I was because I, I, I peppered it. In I mean the original yeah. shaft set up. Yes, the original shaft, which was which was about a shaft. Uh, and then I uh, basically the point is when you have a rejection like that, it just makes you reaffirm your commitment to what you do. Yeah, and and, and and are you able to? Are you able to sit down and do an autopsy of the situation and extract like, well, here's what I learned from this? And you go, oh, you know, sometimes. 
sometimes things just work. Sometimes they don't work. Sometimes it's just the way it is. My rudder has always been if I'm true to myself and I'm happy with what we did, then it's a win. Yeah. And then if hopefully that lines up with what the audience wants at yeah. some point. But if you try to chase that, I feel like it's a losing game. How much of the original Wet Hot American Summer was uh, improvised? Much less than one might think. Almost none. Really? Well, partly because we spent so much time trying to raise the money to make the movie three years uh, that we kept going back and redoing the script and making it tighter and tighter. And partly because we had no time or money to screw around on set at all. Um, there's a few little things. Michael Black added a few things when we were rolling. But for the most part, we also had readings of it beforehand. So people's ideas are in there. But by the time we roll camera, very little. We also, you know, you're shooting on film at the time. Oh, right. Low budget. And they're like, you know, hey, you can't do, you're going to do a third take or you're going to run out of film and then, you know, you can't get uh, any lunch for anybody tomorrow. Oh, wow. What? Ha- <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> is that, is that where you just drew the lunch? Yeah, lunch. I mean, everyone needs it. I mean, you know, honestly. Film is expensive. That when should be the new motto expensive. for lunch, the new slogan. <laughs> lunch. Everyone needs everyone it. Everyone needs it. it. But honestly, when you're working on a, when you're working on a low budget project, the best way to motivate people is good food. Oh, yeah. Honestly, if you're craft service, like to anyone out there who's making any low-budget anything... Number one rule. T- just take a chunk of your budget and pay and, and, and pay them in food because the crew and the performers will appreciate that and actually work harder than if you were paying them a little bit more for some reason. Oh, yeah. It just shows a well, little because bit... Because it's immediate. Yeah. You know, a, a number on your bank account is one thing, but a sandwich in your face is better. But it also shows that you care. It yeah. just shows that you care about your crew and that yeah. you, you, are, you know, like... Hey, we're all in this situation and we're all giving – so I'm going to devote a little extra time to making sure that you're a little bit more comfortable. The less you're paying people, the more you give them food. Yeah. <laughs> the, but When on American Summer has I think one of my favorite – I don't even know if it's a joke, but it's just my favorite anything from any movie ever, which is the uh, – is, is when uh, – I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> what? For my pussy? Yes. <laughs> Pick up some lube. For my pussy. The the fu- the The – Everything about that, yeah. Even the run over, the run over, yeah. and the and the loud whisper, and everything about it. <laughs> That's the great Nina Hellman, the New York actress who's been in almost everything I've done, uh, as the nurse uh, talking about for my pussy. For the <laughs> <week>. <laughs> I love how you set it up, though, which is so true of so many things I've done. People are like, I'm not even sure if it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's, I mean, I know it's a comedy thing, but it's not a classic joke. Like it's right. a, it's a, it's just a a, a weird personality affectation right. <laughs> as opposed to like I, shut up punchline like it's one of my favorite things too but it's true that like, so many of the reviews of things i've done have been like is this even supposed to be funny i don't get it like <laughs> no, it's, it, it, i know it's supposed to be funny but it but the thing that i love about it is that it's such a it's so because a lot of times when you see jokes as a comedy person you can go you do the math and you go oh, i see how they got there oh okay i get it as right a, but that's one of those ones it's just sort of like watching Maria Bamford where you're like, holy shit, I don't know where that came from, yeah. and it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> how do you guys uh, – how, how did you – did you write the movie as you were essentially going along, or did you write – did you get the cast together and everyone started fucking around and, and you honed it down that way? No, it was really – we. Michael and I outlined and we just brainstormed our own real camp experiences, and we put together a million ideas – based on the fact of what, what we did in camps. And it wasn't really spoofing anything. We were just going into our own teenage angst and our own things we remembered. And we 
put together these stories and then we just honed it into, you know, trying to overlap them and combine characters. And we ended up writing it much more like a real screenplay than we had first intended. We were going to do just kind of an outline and have everyone come screw around. Um, but again, it took so much time before we could actually get it going that we ended up honing all the words on paper. And then only after that did we cast it. And did, did you, was the process the same for, for this version? Uh, this version we had to do so much faster. I mean, it was so different in so many ways. Obviously, we had 15 <laughs> years more experience, and it was different. We shot on the West Coast, not the East Coast. Oh, and everyone's and schedule is crazier than it was. Schedules before. were insane, and it was, you know we're we're putting together this cast again. That's all the exact same people. Uh, so there was a million things that were different about it. But one of the biggest things from a writing point of view is we had a writer's room. And so we had great writers for a much, much shorter period of time, all working at the same time, writing this four-hour script. Um, and it really is a four-hour movie cut into eight chunks. Wow. Um, and, you know, this eight-episode Netflix series. So it's, uh, it was like that. We had to move incredibly fast but it was so fun and we had really talented people and mike showalter was the head of the writer's room and we all just sat down together and figured out all these crazy interlapping stories netflix is a is a fucking comedy godsend like it's so much it's so much what you would always hoped would happen at a network where it's just it's clearly run by people who are fans of comedy. They're like, you know what? We like that thing. And so we're just going to make it because we like this thing. And we know that there are other people out there who like it, even if it, you know, whereas most networks would probably track every, right from a marketing perspective, as opposed to Netflix goes, hey, we have this platform. We can put stuff in front of people and we're just going to program stuff we like. We were just talking about earlier. That there's a few. It's a golden age in general because I feel like Comedy Central is doing that to some degree now. Adult Swim's doing this to some degree now. They're all run by like a guy who's basically saying, I like that. Let's do it. Yeah. Instead of this whole team mentality but yeah netflix in particular is an amazing place to do that and yeah. we, we were going to do this prequel uh as a movie until we started putting it together we were like oh, we have so much more material than we can fit into a ha- to an hour and a half what do we do and then we looked around and we're like look at netflix this is the thing like it's not really a tv show people can watch it all at once if they want uh it, it goes exactly to the people that we want to reach it was like the perfect medium and, and they left us alone the thing that's brilliant about it is that because it's an eight episode arc, people will get hooked in and then go watch the original as like because it's a prequel. Right. Well, I'm hoping at least somebody will watch the whole thing and then having never seen the movie and then so we're watching the story in chronological order and then I'm wondering what they'll think. And then <laughs> Oh wow, that'd be interesting. And then you have to do Wet Hot American Space Camp because the third is you have to go into space. Okay. Well, I think you go you have to go to Europe and then then you go to space. I will give you ten percent. Okay. <laughs> Please. Well, I mean Space Lab shows up in the Second one, so Skylab, so, Skylab, Space Lab, Space Lab, seventy one. Guys, it was from a leftover Apollo Saturn five. They had three already built to go after the Apollo program got yes, cut you, funding. Well, we I know, know, you know wow. about space wow. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He knows more about space than anyone. Space anyway. Lab for some He knows. Reason. He knows. He knows. It was not. We we all understand that Thank that was you. not. Okay. That was not a grandpa mistake. That I don't is, understand, and I'm kind of offended. <laughs> I'm outraged. I'm outraged. You can hear it in my voice. Yeah. The internet. If I if I have one more time, see, the internet is outraged. Yeah, I, I, I don't peas know. and guacamole. Yeah, I don't know. Do you? Are you socially? Uh, are you social? I'm media? in there. I'm in. The, I'm in. I'm in the mix. I. Uh, <laughs> Did you pay attention to it. Get my hands dirty. I'm in the- I was on uh, the New York online message board uh, chatting with Jake Fogelness before most people even had a modem in their house. Yes. Back in the early '90s. Yep. And uh, yeah, I've stayed uh, in there. <laughs> yeah, you used to actually. You uh, ran a state uh, AOL 
email address, right? I did, yep. And then my first also... email was the state at AOL.com, and I was talking with people, you know. Yeah, he would even he would be on uh, It's a Messenger. I yeah. would, I would, uh, I would ask questions. No way. Yeah. Like a long time ago. Uh, like 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah, and like, uh, I would just like, I, I, that was the first time I'd gotten the internet. So like this access and this information, I'd be like, it's like, wow. Because I remember I emailed a question once and you answered and you're very polite. And then I saw you on my instant messenger buddy list. And I was like, I got another question. I could just get the answer right now. And I was like, is the state theme song uh, parts of different Nation of Ulysses songs? You're like, yes, but this is my work line. I, I'm very busy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now you have a literal direct line to David Wayne. You can yeah. just ask any. Now you're only a few feet away from me. No, yeah. I got How nothing. How exciting is That's that? That's all I ever no, wanted. Exciting exciting now that. you have to answer him with like, I'm, yeah. I'm working right I'm, now. I can't yeah. answer you. I'd your... love to talk to you about this, Jonah, but it's just this is my work time. <laughs> yeah, but with this, it's a whole podcast. We can just talk. It's no, a... I'd, I'd prefer if you went through some layers. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me. <laughs> you could go through the, the publicity firm and yeah. submit the yeah. questions that way. You could you could send the question to her and then have her decide if she wants to submit it to David and then he can write back and go. And then I'll, she'll text me right here. Yeah. Seems <laughs> like a lot of work. Like even in that time it's we explained the process. Even in that time though, I could easily know, have just asked the question. The way yeah. things are done now. It's, just, it's actually easier. You don't realize it, but it's actually yeah, it's oh, much, uh, much right. easier. It's actually more efficient. Okay. Hey, I was wondering if you know how like how, how David likes his coffee. Great. She answered for you. Man, <laughs> right. I can't even get through get this firewall. Him. You don't even get to him. <laughs> I like my coffee like I like my women. Skinny, pale, and a few zits. <laughs> what? I'm not even sure. I don't even... See, is that's another... Is that even a joke? And on ice. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds... I don't know if that sounds bad. What I was, do you... I was big on Friendster. Oh. At the Fre- time. Fre- Friendster had a good minute. Friends yeah. are at a good minute and a half huge. until MySpace came along. First to the party. Yeah. First and to then, leave. I mean, fr- <laughs> until MySpace came along, like, you could post music and you could, you have top friends. You could blingy. You and Dan put- Cook is on it. Like, I remember, <laughs> you know, MySpace was a big, was the big thing. But Friendster, people, that was one, that was when we first started understanding the heartbreak of, I've thrown a lot of time into this social media platform, and now I have to abandon camp like a fucking copper mining town, just pick up and leave, no. and you know, start all over again on another platform. Yeah, that's how I felt when they changed the photos thing on Mac. I was like, come on already. Oh, yeah. I've already tagged everything in Aperture, and it's all a mess now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just did the same thing with, um, with, uh, with radio and the My Music and everything yeah. and iTunes. This whole nuke and pave, like, oh, forget everything you did before. We're starting from scratch. It's like, who's got time for that? <laughs> yeah. just, can you just incorporate something? It's funny to me to see a commercial on television for Facebook, and it was basically old people, and just thinking about how they've clearly – I mean, so I, just, I remember Facebook when it was just high school and college students. Yeah. If it was college students, then high school students could be on it too. But if you were not in that demographic, you were either creepy and you were lying. And then they opened it up to everyone, and now it's just like – and now they seem aware, like, eh, it's a grandma's now. Like, it's, it's grandma's. What if they decided right now, you know what, we're, that was a mistake. It's back to just colleges. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to put, put all of your dick pics on a news feed. Because yeah. that's the problem is that uh, like, uh, like college and high school kids just want to send, like, dick pics. Or tit pics. Or tit pics. Dick and tit pics. Yeah. Dick, dick tit in pic. tit pics. Well, now dick, they just snap. Dick tit pits. What they Snapchat it now? They just do all that's the Snapchat stuff. Yeah, they all talk on Snapchat. It's yeah, that that's what your cousin. Like Twenty-year-old cousin just communicates on Snapchat. It's bizarre. 
When it's really the same as just sending someone a... Uh-huh. It's actually more efficient to send someone a text. Yeah, because she takes a picture, then writes text on it. Yeah. And then sends it. Takes more time. Yeah. It's, it's just appealing when you have two single-syllable rhyming words like dick pics, Snapchat. Yeah. Right. I remember yeah. as a kid, they had a commercial pep step. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's exactly the same now as it used to be. Yeah. Do you uh, do you're working on something? You're shooting something now, right? You're in the well, middle. Well, now of- we're shooting the. I can't believe it to say the seventh season of our show, Children's Hospital. Yes, which is on Adult Swim. Uh, Good God, seven seasons! I know. I can't. I've never done seven seasons of anything. I've never done two seasons of anything. It was. It's so cool, and so that's been a blast all these seven years, and uh, with this amazing cast and having fun, it feels like going to my family and just screwing around. And um, I'm also on this show, Another Period, which is yep. currently running on uh, brilliant, brilliant Comedy Ricky, Ricky and Natasha. Yeah, and that's that was a blast to do. Hope they do more of that. Don't you have another movie you're working on? Well, the movie came out a little while ago. That's just newly on Netflix called They Came Together. Yes, which is great. Um, and then I've got all this stuff in the hopper. You know, it's like always writing stuff. But actually, I've had a vacation in a really long time, so I'm about to head to the East Coast with my uh, boys, my two kids, and uh, chill out for the first time in a long time. It is amazing to me how. Like, the cluster of the state really is a strange, hyper-productive... Like, everyone really did go on to all do really amazing stuff in their own in their own ways. Well, to me, it's... I can't believe I met this group of guys in college, in freshman year, sophomore year of college. And it was 11 of us in this comedy troupe. And now, almost every single one of us is out there in the business doing stuff... More, more like I think seven or eight of us have directed feature films now and have been successful in various, and we all still work together all the time. It's a, it's a special group of people. I mean, usually, if you have a group like some people fall off the, you know, it's like it's, right. it's usually like well, one or two, maybe one person, maybe two out of a small group of friends will go on to continue pursuing the thing that you say you want to do in college. But people fall off. Oh, you know, I, I, I took plan B because it was cushier. But everyone really hung in there and has all established names for themselves. And it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Well, Todd, Todd Hollebeck, he... Todd Hollebeck in our group was the one guy who decided not to do this anymore. Yeah, he, he just didn't want to do he it. He lives right? in Hong Kong now and does interesting interactive stuff. And he's Whoa. got a whole other thing he's working on. He's, he's an, a creative artist, too, in, another, in a different way. Yeah. Um, but even he came back and we did this show at Festival Supreme just a few months ago. Uh, the whole group, new material, uh, out in a big stage. And it was a blast. That was a great show. Yeah. Uh, so the group is is the state is incredible. For people listening, it's a group from MTV from the nineties. <laughs> and for people listening, MTV was a channel that in the nineties uh... it was mostly music videos <laughs> and a few weirdly unfunded comedy shows, <laughs> and then some dating shows. Exactly. Uh, well, because yeah. you and because you and we all hung out with you uh, in the ninety seven at the spring break Panama City. Uh, yeah, we were um, we were dancing with thousands at Club La Vila. I remember Club, Club La, La Vila. Vila. I remember Club <laughs> La Vila. Oh my god! Well, the first time I met you guys was like spring break '94. I had just started working for MTV, and you guys had already been doing the state for a little bit. And it was in San Diego, I think. There was a spring break, like, and there was a spring okay. break in San Diego in '94. Wow! 
And uh, not all of you were there. Some of you were there. I think Latrulio was there. And okay. I think maybe Tom was there. It was there were only Tiki like Tiki God. Tiki God was in the state, right? Tiki God was not in the state. Oh, okay. Tiki God was basically just commercials for MTV. Yeah, I know. Was the state the one where it's like, isn't that special? <laughs> yeah, that was the state. Okay. Yeah, I think that was that was. I can uh, never keep yeah. track. I think that was Ben. I yeah. think that was Ben right. Garant played yep. the church woman. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I mean, a, cla- a, cla- a classic, classic. Yeah. Thank and you. then and then you and Showalter would do these Austrian body. I'm going to pump you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. So, Thank you. That was so good. Yeah. Um, and then... See, there's young people listening who'll be like, oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then some sketches like Dog Boy, Eon Flux. <laughs> and then the 12th, the, 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 the 12th member of the state was Ernie Kovacs. A lot right. Of people don't know that. <laughs> and then we did Laurel and Hardy. You did Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's so hard to... I feel like it's easier now to trace comedy roots... But now there's so much media at all time. I feel like people growing up now, it's harder and harder to trace stuff. It's because, a melange, yeah. Because things get so diluted and everything. You know, obviously comedy is – everything is somewhat borrowed to a degree. Oh, you know, like that's how you're – But the linear thing is much harder to follow because no, there's things that are less – nothing's dominating as much now. There's so many things and so many pockets. It's, yeah. It's huge. It's, it's inc- To me, I always think if I was – Younger now, I don't know if I would survive the volume that you have to break through in order to. When we did the state, there weren't that many comedy groups at all, you know. And there was, in fact, we were doing our Stella shorts. We were talking about the early internet stuff and social media. We were doing Stella shorts on ComedyNet.com, and before that, I think it was Heavy.com. Mm. Before there was anything, there were no shorts on the internet. We were like the first video, basically. To, that was we do these like two minute videos. <laughs> it took that, four hours. Well, it was yeah, the but... size of a tiny postage stamp. Yes. It, you could see, you know, new frame would refresh every second or two and and it was crazy but you know that was like a web series and then little by little from there but now i'd still even i'd be too scared (laughs) to jump in (laughs) but the state the state really was at least for for me it sort of ushered in this kind of um this sort of awareness in comedy of other comedy like it was right especially i know when you guys put out the um when you guys put out the video and it, you had the cannonball run outtakes right. at the end. That to me was so right in the wheelhouse of where I was. And That's then, one of my and, favorite things we ever did. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were always very into being self-reflective and meta, and you know, t- talking about the tools of what we're doing and the, the nature of storytelling, the nature of comedy, and all that. Not not as not that we studied it so much, but just it just seemed to be interesting to us. I don't know why. And in fact, it was weird. I was watching. I had never even seen one of these classic Laurel and Hardy shorts about moving the piano. I'd never seen the whole thing. And I showed it to my sons yesterday, and they're cracking up. They're four and seven. Oh, wow. They were dying laughing. I was like, wow, I guess, you mm. know. And, but, and then it, it was basically Stella. It was exactly you know, like the kind of stuff that we had done it. You could take minus it to the dildo. It's an Echo Park. Minus I know, I heard dildos. that. Yeah. <laughs> Laurel and Hardy trying to move a giant dildo. <laughs> <laughs> but now with Photoshop, you can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but that was a whole different. I mean, I can, I can, in my head, I know distinctively that the voice of comedy in the 90s, which you guys helped usher in, was so distinctive to the 80s and so different. And, and a lot of stuff that came around the same time, like, you know, the Ben Stiller show and all these other types. And, and Mr. Show. Mr. Show. And, and to, to some degree, it was a little bit older, but Kids in the Hall, obviously, right. as well. But it, but it was all, it was all a, a, just a, a, a different voice. And I don't know if that's me 
Oh, I think that because I was at the right age to catch all that stuff. I think that's true. You think, think so too? True. Well, because everything's a reaction to what came before to some degree. I know that we were doing that because we, our group was not, did not come out of the Groundlings or UCB, which didn't exist at the time or, or anything. We didn't come out of any scene. We were our own bubble and we taught each other and encouraged each other's point of view based on the influences that we brought into it as suburban kids growing up. So we all loved in varying degrees, Steve Martin and Monty Python and Woody Allen, and we just bring it all in. And then, but we also were like, we're not SNL. We're not going to do that. We're going, we don't want to, you know, we were doing our own thing. And, and, and yeah, I think it was. And so we paved our own way based on what we'd want to do. Do you, what do you think the group would be like if you guys all, if the state just popped up now? Well, if we met each other now, I mean, if, if you guys were all starting, if, if you guys were all starting now, do you think it? it I mean, obviously, it's, it's almost totally- impossible to imagine. It's, it really is such a different time now. You know, like the, the, the YouTube and the, just the the whole landscape is so different, and UCB is such a specific influence on everything. And we we were not an improv group. We were much more. We were all film students, or half of us were film students. So it was more sketch related and more uh, conceptual stuff we were trying to think about. But like I said, I don't know. I, it, it, there's so many coincidences that make you come together and make you step forward into something uh it's a good question <laughs> yeah um and do you prefer do, do you would you ever want to just start making weird continue to do like stereotype stuff oh i love that i mean I, to me it's always the lower the budget and the quicker you do something the more fun it is and uh, it's it's such a blast doing that stuff and, and I, you know to some degree children's hospital is like pretty on the fairly low budget, like do it quickly, ram through it uh, spectrum. So was our Wet Hot show that we just did. But um, I did this web series, Wainy Days, for years, yeah. uh, which I maybe will continue at some point. Um, I just haven't had much time. But I love doing things you know, really quick and dirty. It's the, I hope to never stop doing that. Was it hard to start working for bigger companies you know, to, to be able to retain – Specific well, they started working for Viacom. So, well, I know that's true, but but at least at MTV, he's talking about bigger, even bigger, even bigger than Viacom. Okay, you know, like I, I just mean oil in terms of concerns sure. from the Middle East, you know, like mobile, <laughs> Mexico. Sure. Now that I'm working for Standard Oil, it's a little different. <laughs> Take a time machine, work for U.S. Steel in the 30s. <laughs> we do all these sketches about how renewable energy is bullshit, and then it all goes back up to J.P. Morgan, and then yeah, he says no, and, all the way. Yeah. and then the, the Rockefeller Comedy Hour. But so, I, you're asking about like doing your bigger budget. Studio films, yeah, where, where, yeah. where you have a little bit, you know, like where you have a little bit less creative control, even though you know, because I always find it interesting that these larger companies will they'll they'll look to a group like the state or they'll look to like you guys and go, oh, this is something the kids love. We should hire them because my, you know, I am an executive. My kids love these guys, and then I, I would assume invariably they bring you in and then start telling you how to do your thing. You're like, but you hired us because we have a specific voice. Why well, are you trying to dilute that? For years after Wet Hot American Summer came out, especially since it, it didn't do well financially, but there were fans in the industry who brought me and Michael into their office and they'd be like, "This is the funniest thing we ever seen. It's our favorite movie." Blah, blah, blah. And now sit down. And like, let us strip away everything that's interesting about what you did to mm-hmm. for what the project that you would do for us, you know. And we would pitch something, and they'd be like, "Great, but don't make it interesting or edgy, or you know." And they, thank God, now our sensibility, I think, is more accepted in the world, and we ourselves have more clout, so it's less of that. Okay. But um, certainly, when I was doing bigger budget movies uh, for Universal, it was. Um, it had its pros and cons. It was fun to have more resources, and it was exciting to be able to say, "Hey, let's put that piece of music in and not have to sweat it," you know, or let's get this 
you know, kind of shot or this visual effect and don't, don't have to make a huge sacrifice elsewhere to do it. But um, sh- certainly the concerns about marketing and everything are always bigger on those things. But it doesn't – the actual making of it isn't that different at all for me. It's just – it's still the same thing. You're still with a guy being like, hey, where should, we, where should we put the camera? What's the best way to tell the story? Should we do another take? You know, And then uh, the – for me, what I – I would love to keep doing bigger budget studio things, just knowing as they, as have been the ones that I've done so far. They're if they're conceived from the ground up that way, and you know that's the game you're playing, then great. You know. Do you have something that you always loved, but you could never materialize? Like you just couldn't make it work? Well, you know what that was for years and years was the, the sax solo from Baker Street. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. you finally <laughs> nailed it in Stella. <laughs> 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 but you know, we we had that in the Stella pilot. On, I don't know if this is what you're referring to. Yeah, we, yeah. we used that in the Stella pilot on Comedy Central, but they made us replace it because we couldn't uh, clear it, and so it was some you know sound alike. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the the um, for years, the, our movie they came together was this script we had for ten years that we had kept trying to get made over and over in different ways and never could. And people would ask me that, and that's what I always say. And then finally, we actually did get it made. So that was a big, exciting win for us to do that but now there's a hole there now you've made the thing I so know. what what replaces that now i have to have new stuff my drawer is emptying <laughs> <laughs> now it's clearing the sack solo from <laughs> now you can clear the sack i want to do that second season of stella that's what i want to do that was the first season of stella i loved it so good yeah. so funny thank you though we were talking before that it's it's one of those things where like Right at the end, we were like, "We got this now!" Like, yeah. okay, just now, second season, we're going to really hit the ground, you know. And they and they didn't pick it up. I know that's what sucks is that it, it usually it usually takes about a season to figure a thing out because you just there's a dynamic, and it's not just even if you know your group dynamic, there's a dynamic with whatever medium you're in, and then your relationship yeah, and you're to learning, the audience. And you're learning about the tools and the the other people on the crew, and like the, all the strengths and weaknesses of what you're doing, and you learn about process. That's what was been so awesome about uh, children's hospitals. We're learning every season. We get better at it. We, every season we learn more about you know what works, what doesn't, who who can help us best. And it's it's a it's a really new experience for me to go this long on anything. Yeah. Well, Adult Swim. Adult Swim has the perfect model of like, let's keep our budgets low, then no one will bother us. Like, yeah. n- not, like the parent company won't bother us. We'll just keep them low, and then. And Mike Lazo, the head of Adult Swim, is like the coolest guy in the world. He's basically just like, fuck him. I don't care what anyone thinks. You know. <laughs> yeah, oh. he he is he is he does seem to be like one of the original dudes who just yeah. went, I like this thing. Let's just put it on. And I think he has some deal he's figured out where he just doesn't answer to anybody yeah you know it's yeah. just really cool well they like they make so much money off of the family guy repeats right isn't that what i like? think so yeah i don't i don't know but yeah it's, yeah. it's something like that but so i think yeah. but it, but it, that that is part of it is is keeping the budgets low yeah 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 we'll keep these budgets low and as long as the budgets are below this point then no one's step it's you know when you start scaling up that's when people start you know like that's when the higher ups start getting interested right. and they want to start putting their hands on stuff yeah there's more on the line and there's more at risk and it's just well i always heard this interview with guys who do network tv programming and it was so interesting to me because they were like people say we always, they always criticize us for the choices we make which shows we pick up which shows we renew and they said it's so often it's so much less uh so much more scientific than you think and it's just basically like certain shows generally make a profit other ones don't the ones that make a profit are the ones we pick up yeah and it's like mm, oh yeah. it's like pretty much that's what it is yeah and that <laughs> you know that a, a show like arrested development is was a very expensive show to make so is your dog snoring I thought that was a gorilla. <laughs> uh, she's having a nightmare where she's a gorilla. 
Sounds oh. like a dream, Chris. I thought it was like it's one PTSD of those podcasts where like, and now it's time for the Planet of the Apes yeah. quiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so no, it, it becomes like a morning. It's the lawgiver. It's a, it's a, this was like a, a morning radio show where all of a sudden, like, an intern in a gorilla suit comes right. in. Uh, and, oh, David, uh, you said the gorilla word. <laughs> well, <laughs> gorilla traffic and weather, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> the gorilla word was scientific. <laughs> <laughs> we need a Nerdist Podcast community gorilla. I think that could be Kyle. Isn't it already? Kyle, I think we're going to start putting you in a gorilla suit and just... An audio podcast. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> just do what we say. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't for anybody. This is for us, Kyle. We just want you to come in at random points and surprise the guests just to see how they react. But keep the mask on the whole time. Yeah, the entire time. No so matter what happens. You're sweating and it's just you're just breathing back into your mask and the condensation is coating your but face. When you're not here, stand outside in the heat. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how much how much more are you are you are you you're in the midst of shooting children's hospital? How much we're about halfway through Children's Hospital, but I, I'm just finished the Wet Hot American Summer, so those projects overlapped. Um, that was like a brutally difficult but incredibly exhilarating process, you know, putting together this. Like I said, it's really making a four-hour movie. What are you, what are you going to do on vacation? Do you even know what to do with yourself on vacation? Well, I have these two kids. So that's going to take so, up a lot of energy. Well, I'm going to take the two kids for about half of it, and, I'm, and we're going to go back to New York. where we, we just moved from New York to L.A. about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that, we're gonna, I'm going to uh, leave the kids somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I don't know what I'm going to do. Leave them a map. I might, I might like go to Amsterdam or something or just go to Argentina and just like hang out. I just read the most fascinating article. It was on, it was on GQ.com. But basically there was a guy, I think in Maine, and when he was 20 years old, he just drove to the edge of the forest, grabbed a backpack and just walked into the forest and lived alone in the forest for 27 years. And this town that he sort of lived near, he found this perfect little, he found this perfect little spot to set up camp, and it was everything about it geographically was it was hidden and it was temperature like everything he was just found this little sweet spot, and uh, he essentially they uh, caught him after twenty seven years because the only way that he was surviving was every so often he would creep into town and burgle houses, but he would only take what he needed. Uh, he would always make oh, sure no one... they should let him do that. They... <laughs> well, they did. You know, like, some of the residents were like, well, we'll just leave stuff. And, and it was this bizarre, almost haunting legend where they were like, the hermit. And, oh, yeah. yeah. I heard about that. And yeah. he um, and he basically, uh, it, when summer would come, was getting to an end, he would start stockpiling he had one little propane grill. Wow. And that was it. He would he would basically just stay there in this spot and survive all winter long, knowing that he would have to go to bed at seven thirty PM and wake up at two AM so that he could get up and circulate his blood. Oh Jesus. And it was it was such, and he didn't speak to any he spoke he's like one hiker he said hi to once in twenty seven years. Why? He didn't have a reason. He just huh. he Hiker just had a nice smile. He just drove. He just drove into the forest and just all of a sudden did felt he, very did he free. Have an Xbox or something. He would he would occasionally steal video game uh, uh, portable video games from from people wow. and play them. But he mostly read books. Huh. And did and he come out of it or did he stay there and die? He came, no, he came out of it because they they caught him. Well, he should have stayed there and died. They they caught him and they arrested him and so he spent seven months in jail. 
Um, but because he never committed any violent acts against anyone, they were like, well, yeah, basically time served. And his mom was still alive, and he, they forced him to go live with her. But it was him, <laughs> it was him just reintroducing. That's going to be a great yeah, sitcom. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. That's incredible. Yeah, 27 years. And he just, uh, you know, he, he just he felt very free there, and he never seemed bored because he always like surviving always was... had to get up to keep his blood circulating. seriously yeah like surviving was a task no, I'm sh- somebody who would do that for a month would end up writing like five books about it and, uh, <laughs> and going on tour talking about it but he did that for 27 yeah. years. 27 years and he had to relearn how to communicate i mean like he knew how to talk but even just yeah. relearning how to you oh, know God. like crazy. and it was kind of slowly driving him crazy being in jail and so they, they, I think just as an act of mercy, they were like... He just didn't like when they brought him food. Yeah. Well, he... There was one writer, the guy who wrote the article, kept really trying to connect with him. So he would go and visit him. And he just said, you know, every once in a while, they would have a little breakthrough. But most of the time, the guy wouldn't look him in the eye. And he would apologize. He was, but he was aware that he was awkward. He was like, I'm sorry. I just haven't... I, don't, I haven't really communicated with anyone in so long. I have trouble communicating with people when, I, when I've woken up in the morning. Because it's been eight hours. <laughs> so I, just, I love this guy. Are you are you good are you good being alone? Like thinking about that, I got I got so I got so much stress just thinking like just sitting alone in the forest. I well the, as is the thing right now uh, in our crazy society. I'm always trying to be more alone and more still and less plugged in, you know. And so I'm trying to become more comfortable in the quiet. And I feel I look at, I look at my kids and I'm. It's this thing of like, are you ever bored? There's always stimulation. I want to make sure that they understand what it is to just hang out and just sit, yeah. you know, and not necessarily do something for a minute. I wonder if that's possible anymore. You have to be active about it. You have to, I mean, that's the whole, you can't, it's you not actively be still. You have to make it a priority to like turn stuff off and just sit somewhere because you just never do that. And think about all the times growing up before we had all this for us, our age, you know, you'd be waiting someone for someone in a restaurant. You just sit there. Maybe yeah. you read something, you know, but it wasn't like, I'll check my email for the two seconds while they go to the bathroom. You know? I know my girlfriend keeps saying like, we're going to go away somewhere and you're not going to bring your phone. And I'm like, I love you, but that's not going to happen. I mean, and we're, we're going, we're going on a trip after Comic-Con that's where there's nothing, there's nothing to do. We're just going to go sit uh, and there's not really anything for us. <laughs> She's like, well, we can go on hikes and, you know. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> it, is, it is a little. It is a little bit because I think we're so addicted to distraction, right? And it's but to do one thing is so meditative. Like uh, the best trip I ever took was a whitewater rafting trip where you couldn't bring your phone; it was impossible, and you were just uh, you know paddling and paddling. paddling. Oh, whitewater only, huh? Well, <laughs> there was some blue water. So it was like black under and then white on top. Yeah, okay, white on top then, huh? I don't know, I'm just trying to create I don't know. controversy. But then, uh, and you slept overnight, and it was an incredible trip, but it, like, and it took me a whole day to stop checking my shorts in the water for my phone. And then finally I did stop, and then that second day and third day, you're like in nirvana. It's incredible. And then you come back, and then you have to get reacclimated. And, then, and there's a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck are you? <laughs> are you dead? And it was like, it, if you didn't respond on social media for like a, two days, people would be like, well, that guy's dead. Yeah. Like, he's not, he didn't survive. <sighs> Do you have any more nerdy questions to ask David about the state that you didn't get to ask him via IM because he was too busy before? No, that's, I think that's it. No, I, this would be a good time for it. Yeah. 
Now I've n- I'm now open for questions. No, no, no. I'll, <laughs> I'll go through the proper channels. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what was it that you noticed? What What was the span that with the themes? It was just like you know, it was two different. You're uh, right. It uh, was it was a, a, a group of samples that Craig Wedren put together with Eli Janney. Yeah. From Nation of Ulysses and some other band. Yes. Yeah, you told me that at the time. And also, he stole the uh, the drum break from a uh, a Motown song. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it was uh, some famous Motown. And how much? It's like when you were. I remember there was one episode opening where you say, "Hey, like um, my name is David Wayne. I don't appear on screen so much, but it's because I do all the. I, you know, were you editing a lot of the sketches? I was. I was, in fact, in real life, the, one of the big editors. And the editing at the time, you know, it was two different VCRs next to each other and a little controller in between, and you just tape a little bit from one VCR onto the next VCR, and it was a very laborious process. Yeah. And the second season of the state is when they brought in the first primitive, avid, nonlinear computer oh, wow. system. And so I went, hold myself up for 36 hours and learned it my, and taught myself how to do it. And the way I did it was by editing myself into the opening credits <laughs> of the state. And then I showed it to the group. And they're like, let's put this on the air. <laughs> <laughs> but being a comedy editor, sound, it, that sounds stressful. It's all editing, though. I know, because it doesn't even matter how someone delivers a line. If it's edited weird, then it completely can ruin the whole joke. It's, I, I, I know it's like people say this, and it feels, sounds like an exaggeration, but for me, I do feel like the writing and the shooting is basically going to the store and buying paints, and then you're going to make your thing in the edit room. Mm. Uh, and you know, the first cuts of everything that I've ever done are horrible. Because you see the first draft and and you're just like, oh shit, what did we shoot? It's not funny. (laughs) Nothing's good here. (laughs) And then you go in and you start honing and you figure it out and you reorder things and you change and you put that back and change the sound of the music and everything and suddenly it turns into what it really is. Yeah, because you you could have something that's a total tank and then you find, oh, we have this one completely unrelated reaction shot of someone else. But if we drop that in the middle, then all of a sudden this thing works. Totally. And but it's it's that it's not always like crazy tricks like that it's also just like you know what add a half second to yeah. that reaction shot that it was there in the first place and it changes the feel of it 100 percent, you know or just you know cut take out those two lines in between the other two lines and then suddenly those become funny that they weren't before yeah it's a weird thing that where it's like you know it's you always forget that every time you're sitting down to edit something you look at the first cut and you're like oh this is this is everything's fucked everything's it's, fucked. for me every single time you're like oh this is the first time i've totally whiffed yeah, <laughs> and you forget that you said that every, every single time. time, right? Yeah, but um, but sometimes you know it's a longer process, and you really sit and it takes you know you have to be very brutal with yourself and be like, you know what, I got to cut about a third of this out and start over and reshoot this maybe or whatever you got to do to get it there. But whatever it is, if you're, I think if you have the patience in editing, you can you can make it work. Yeah. Did you feel Did you feel more pressure this time than the first time? Well, it's a different thing, obviously. The first time we had literally no expectations. No one had heard of us or the project in any way. And so there was no anticipation whatsoever. In fact, there was nothing. It was barely released and no one saw it. Uh, this time, clearly, there's this small but very loyal, very strong following for the for the movie. And, and not only that, it's years later and it is a prequel. So people are wanting to see if there's any chance we got it right. And I think we did. And so... But I think clearly there's people are are excited and the, the trailer dropped the other day and there was like huge response and articles about the trailer and analysis of the trailer. And so it, clearly it's a totally different environment that we're putting this out into. Um, 
the process, though, had to just be kind of the same, which was we wrote based on what we thought was funny to us, and we shot it and edited it. You know, we, we couldn't be thinking about that while we were doing it. But people love you guys. Whenever you come together, it makes the news. Like, it, when, you, when we reunited almost all of you on At Midnight... Which was so cool, by the way. That was so much fun. Yeah. Like, that was... Because uh, we never get covered by anything. Yeah. It's just rare that we ever get covered by anything. And that was... That got some of the most coverage that we, you know, that and the Reno, the Reno thing. Those yeah. are the two things that people actually really responded oh, to. Yeah. And, and we had David behind the camera. We had David behind the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever happened to, you know, like it was such a great. That was fun. Well, I mean, we love we love each other, and it's so fun to get the full group together. It just feels special, and it always is special. And it's, um, thank you for putting that together. No, of course. I mean, we uh, it was it was just one of those things where a couple people were like, I wonder if we could get, and then you guys just kept saying yes, and then we had everyone. Yeah. But uh, people, ha- you know, spe- now that the f- big fans of the state and Wet Hot American Summer are now getting older and more established, you know, people, there's just this, the fans are out there and they're, it's exciting. I don't know. People are, people have that nostalgia factor now, which makes me feel old, but it's true. Yeah. And I guess Ant-Man doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. That's unreal. Paul Rudd just got the hall, the uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he got a star a couple days Shit. ago. And it's a good placement, too. I think it's like right in front of the El Capitan. Yeah. Nice. Oh, that's a real good place. That's and a I, real good place. And I hear the movie's great. It is great. I saw it a couple days ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, fu- it's fantastic. It's great because it's so, you know, Avengers uh, it was so big and heavy and so, so many different, and, you know, and this is, this is just a, a very fun, simple, like, caper superhero movie Brad. and he's funny in it and michael pena's really funny in it and it's just it's just great it's just a really fun it's a really fun movie they have a great system over there at marvel too that's another place where it's a lot about one guy's taste and just being like yeah that works let's do it you know? and it's funny how often that works and yet more people I, I think maybe they're hipping to it now but more people don't go maybe if we didn't committee think this thing to death and we just let a person with creative vision like well, you know like like a Ted Sarandos for instance well, or where a they, Kevin Feige the big place where they're still not doing it is the TV networks the main right. broadcast networks are still working on that very old they can't, though. ridiculous system they can't because because they they they've they're so many I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying they can't because this infrastructure is in place where they have so many executives. Right. And it would basically they would have to it would it would have to be like a culling. Like they would have to just like scrape off a bunch of people and fire them. Which they like, should though, because I mean, after how many seasons of total failure do you have to have? And they always are, well, we had that one hit out of the fifty that we you know, and the, the amount of money wasted, the amount of time wasted, talent wasted every year, pilot season. It's just it's. Uh, Creatively, it's tragic. But the but the you know the Mike Laszlo's and the the Ted Sarandos like those guys. The way that networks tend to work is you know someone will like start off in a mailroom and start off as an assistant right. to like a development executive. That development executive will either get fired or move to a different company, and all of a sudden an <laughs> assistant gets a development executive yeah. job, and then or maybe someone from a marketing department gets shifted over, and so they're basically by the time the person in charge gets to the top. They have climbed this ladder, and it's typically not even a ladder that they set out to climb. No. So there, you basically have people who are in charge who didn't really start off wanting to, per se, do, for instance, do comedy, as opposed to yeah. David you, Geffen just wanted to run the mailroom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, but you're right. Nor have they ever written anything or done any of the creating. Right. You know, so, whereas like Mike Lazo was a creative. Yeah. Who can, and became the head of the network eventually, you know. But he became the head of a thing that was basically like a startup, 
that yeah. didn't have a committee. So it was like, fine, you want to run that thing? Just, just right. don't spend too much money. Exactly. You know, with Ted Netflix, it's like, well, you know, you have this opportunity. Just like, just don't fuck it up. You know, it's like there wasn't it wasn't a bunch of people in a really old in an old structure right. making committee decisions. They just happened upon they basically were like startups they were startups yeah and now it's true this the bureaucracy is so enormous on so many levels but the networks you know in their defense they have like their overhead is so crazy that they can only kind of think in short term exactly because they just have to make as much money as fast as possible and so it's harder for them to go hey let's develop a children's hospital and we'll give it, you know, seven seasons so that the audience can find it over time. They just don't think that but way. But you would think, let's not spend, you know, $4 million on 50 pilots and waste all that and then just right. still – because it's not like anything ever is guaranteed anyway, you know. But a lot of times – I mean we're, I, I feel like we're also oversimplifying it because we're talking about – the best people, like the most creative people in the business, and those people are very difficult to identify and find and get them to work for you. Well, especially if they're – especially in terms of executives and stuff because a lot of people just don't want to do that job. I never would. Yeah, you know? and it's almost like it's almost like just going, oh, well, just you know, go dig in your backyard and find an emerald. You know, right. like mm-hmm. it's a, you, you, there's, easier there's, said than done. It's easier, it's easier said than done because it's, it's about identifying the right – people and then giving them the power to carry out the vision. Well, the networks are even bigger trouble now because more and more there's these incredible alternatives that are also lucrative for a lot of people. Yeah. Not me yet, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the the top top people in television and film are wanting to do things on Netflix and on Showtime and whatever and they're, and they're and Amazon and they're less and less and less interested in going through the pain in the ass of dealing with the whole network development process. Yeah, especially because the network itself has its own series of content restrictions that oh I mean I could just I could watch something else on another is it so on uh, on this version of what had American Summer is, was there I assume there was no censorship or anything you guys could no, just say whatever you want creatively or otherwise it was yeah they basically were like we we like what you guys want to do do it and they gave us some ideas and notes and support but never it's almost unsettling no. like what's your angle <laughs> I know I don't know if I trust this well no we're did. just trying to prop up season three of Lily Hammer so <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna want you to put Stephen Van Zandt <laughs> what if this New York gangster went to this Jewish summer we camp we all know how Lily Hammer is <laughs> <laughs> oh dear Lily Hammer. Is there, is there, you know, so people, it, it, you, it's funny though because just a couple of years ago, people have been like, I'm doing a series on Netflix. Like, oh, sorry, it didn't work out to do anything else. Right. You know, like, and it's like saying now, I'm doing the next series on Yelp or yeah. on Skype. Or yeah. You know, and, and there, nothing's a joke anymore. Nothing can be considered a joke. No, no idea can be a joke. Because ultimately, it's all about where are the audiences. If yeah. there was an audience on Yelp, and they wanted to make, you know, a food show. Why shouldn't they do that? Like Spotify is making, we're making videos for Spotify now. And maybe they they, they have the platform yeah. in the audience. Why not? Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's all new. There's so many of the, as we've learned over and over again, the models don't always fit anymore. You know, there's the technology's changed, and p- the people don't get on board. They get off my train, bitch. Yeah. What? But that's, a, <laughs> that's very upset. really aggressive. Well, you said get off my train, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Can I get, uh, have that call back to me? Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, you guys all sort of started. You know, I, I kind of feel like the state was like internet minded before the internet. Like it was. Yeah. You you guys were, you guys operated. 
We had a YouTube mentality. You I had a YouTube say. mentality before YouTube. Well, yeah. we were running around with our own cameras in school uh, on a Hi8 camera, my Hi8 camera, and shooting these little shorts that were basically YouTube shorts. And we, in fact, when when MTV came to me to say, "Would you like to do some directing on this show? You wrote it, you watch it." Pre the state, uh, which was hosted by John Stewart. Yes, uh, we. I, I said to them, I, you know, maybe there's a different way to approach that. And they were like, no, 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 we know what we're talking about. We're just asking if you want to come work for us. So I went back to the group and I said, hey, let's just shoot something. And, other, and we shot these three shorts that night and edited them that night and brought them in the next day uh, on VHS, whatever. And the, uh, they were like, oh, cool. And it was, it was that sort of let's – who cares? Stay up all night and make it, make it happen yeah. mentality that pushed us through. And we had a real cocky feeling about ourselves that – and ended up serving us throughout those years. <laughs> Wait, so they approached just you to direct the segment, like yeah, the, the reenactment yeah, segments. The, yeah, the show. And then was, you brought in everybody else. The show, yeah, kind of, yeah, exactly. The show was about people sending in funny stories. Yeah, like yeah. And then the 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 segment, the little shorts we would make, were supposed to reenact the stories. But I was saying, why don't we actually shoot interviews on the street so we can intercut editorially this, the, the interviews where they tell the stories with the reenactments. And they were like, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. And so that's when we went back. And I went to the group and basically said, hey, can we, let's all get together and do this. And then once we did that, we said to them, don't hire me as a director, just hire the 11 of us as a group to do this on the salary of one person. And that, and that was <laughs> that's our That's crazy. End. That's how we did You Wrote It, You Watch It. Wow. by the way, that salary was barely good enough for one person, I assume. No, it was. Oh, no. <laughs> We were given one office for the 11 of us. We all sat on the floor. We had a phone and we had uh, uh, some chairs and that was it. And, and we sat there with our own camera and we ran around. We had no crew. They gave us $50 a week for props and it was the best. <laughs> we, and we were, we were in heaven. Yeah. We had the greatest time and we, were, we worked our asses off. We never slept. We were young. It was the best. Yeah, I remember just the one, speaking of props, I remember like there was one with Camerino and it was about, a, it tells you what time of this was on, but it was like about a, a dad's beeper that kept on going off hmm. and there was like a large beeper attached oh, to it. Oh, side. right, right, right. The uh, yeah. Rosemary one. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it's, it's like, I remember like being so into those. That's why when I first started seeing promos for the state, I recognized all of you guys because uh-huh. it was like the first promos for the state didn't have any clips of the show as far as I remember. I don't know. There was uh, it was like all these kind of like like weird shorts that would just go the state coming soon. Oh, cool! Yeah, you guys <laughs> yeah, made yeah. John Stewart. Let's be honest. I mean, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> he was just a he was just sort of a cocky young buck in a gas station jacket back then. Like he he sort of wore the you know he wore the same '90s clothes that we were all forced to wear the zipper jacket. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so oh god. <laughs> so I always look, thought in the '90s, like fashion had ended. Like now, we just we look cool. Like we don't. There is no look. Well, like you said, be, everything being a reaction, to everything else in the '80s, everything was so meticulously ornate and neon and fucking glam metal and you know, like post post glam punk and all this sort of you know. And so stripping all that away, what you were left with was you know the most basic. Like, what's the most basic? Clothing that someone can wear, and like, oh, how gas station attendant. baggy can we how make? Yeah. Well, can that's what I can't, I can't believe. I used to wear shirts where the shoulders would go down to my elbows. And yeah. It was just like the bit. Like, how, yeah. who thought that was good? Like, I put on a shirt today that I bought. I didn't try on, but the shoulder came down to there. It was an extra large. I was like, what the fuck is this? I can't wear this. Yeah, but I was yeah. like, if I was in the nineties, this would be pretty. It would have totally right. been yeah fucked. Yeah, right across the front. Yeah, they just like. The, <laughs> 
I do. I feel like I, I feel like baggy pants never went out. Like I still see dudes wearing like super baggy pants. Yeah, but underwear. they're like skitty pants that they just sag. That they just sag. Yeah, even oh. I put on a straight leg pant. I'm like, that's that's too baggy. I don't I don't yeah. like that. I want to show the tape. Yeah. By the way, like if your idea in the '90s is that you're trying to go more gangsta and your clothes are baggier. That's not – strategically, it's not good to have pants that you could trip over if you were in some type of a skirmish. So this is advice to people who are in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. Advice to people who are in the 90s. Good. We're, uh, we're putting this episode in a time capsule. Oh, good. That's a reverse time capsule. Yeah, it's a reverse time capsule. Understood. Yeah. Yeah, just goes, checking. Uh, now I understand. It goes back the other way. Good. The only thing we use the technology for. We couldn't think of anything else. But now, of course, uh, skinny pants cut off the circulation to your extremities and can cause severe nerve damage. So, yeah. Which know. I'm not into that either. I'm trying to find that perfect middle ground <laughs> of dockers. Just, just pants of, how dare you? How dare you? You've been married for a couple of years and you're already to start wearing dockers? Dockers. Just a fucking. Are you, do you think you'll ever just go like, 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 like dad, dad fashion? Don't I already, in a way? No, no, not at all. Comfortable flannel that I can sleep in that but there I did. Are, but think about it. There are clothes that have been universal and are fine always. Jeans, khakis, t-shirts. Yep. Yeah. You know. Shirts yeah. like this. Yeah, I guess that's true. Ish. I don't know. So your next line is a fashion line? David Wayne wear? I d- Wayne wear. This is not something that I was, been, was supposed to... All right, we'll do it here. Uh, well, that's a great announcement. Your uh, publicist is waving her arms. Yeah, she doesn't it, want she's freaking be... out. But no, you know what? I think this might be a good thing because apparently they have a lot of listeners. So <laughs> basically, it's, it's, bas- it's a fashion fragrance line. Um, and, you know, uh, we're at, right now we're... Getting a lot of people who want to get 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 involved in terms of investing, sure. and, you know. But it's basically it's Avon and it's Vichy um, <laughs> Laurent, and it's um, taken from my perspiration, and then we mix it in with jasmine and uh, please cardamom, call it gutter. yeah, and cilantro, and then it's like a, it's a fragrance, <laughs> cilantro, wow, um, and a little bit of mustard seed, and then um, you know you can put it on before going out, or you can put it on sure. maybe hit the clubs if it's drum and bass or uh, rap clubs, whatever you want, yeah. <laughs> this is your Shark Tank pitch. <laughs> uh, and then it's coupled with a line of basically it's like tube tops for men. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Finally. Yeah. And then, you know, so just whatever. It's called the DWP, which is DW Poop uh, Fashion. <laughs> I, uh, what about tube shorts for men? It's about goddamn time. <laughs> Aren't we evolved enough that men can start wearing tube shorts? I think so. <laughs> I got a lot of shit because I, I wore a, My suits are very fitted. And so when pictures... Like if I post a picture, I'm out somewhere and I'm wearing a suit, people are like, Hey, uh, would you borrow... Did you, was that a hand-me-down? Like, like something about how... Did you borrow that from a, a smaller person? I'm like, Jesus. no, you're just not used to seeing suits that fit. Yeah. Because men's right. suits are right. uh, men's suits are usually a little bit bigger because people typically want to hide hide their frame and so the art suits are always a little bit bigger. Your suits are great. They're like you, you remind me of my favorite bands from the eighties, like p- the punk suits. Oh, yeah. thanks. Like Spandau Ballet or Spandau, The Fix. You know the Fix. Oh my god, I fucking <laughs> love the Fix. I absolutely love. The fix. The fix. I listened to the to a fix cassette tape twenty minutes back and forth to private school when I was a kid. This kid who drove me to school wasn't it, uh, Reach the Beach. Wasn't that the fix album that I had one so. thing leads to another? Yeah, one thing. One thing leads, leads to, to another. another. <laughs> <laughs> then right, like right after they were big, mm-hmm. they played at NYU. I was there my freshman year at NYU, and they were booked in the big auditorium at NYU, and they sold like five tickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, this would have been in the nineties, right? Yeah. Well, no, it was it, 
I think it was like 87 or 88, right? So it only is a couple years afterwards. Right, exactly. I'm telling you, like right after, like right after their hit. They must have been as surprised as anyone. Yeah, I think they were like, this was, they're like, oh shit, this is it. They got, they booked the big venue. But then the <laughs> oh, no. college Sometime students were like, mm, and when the show we've was... already moved on. We're into the Guns N' Roses era, you know, and it's just like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> NYU was like, you owe us $43,000. <laughs> yeah, it was, and they canceled the show. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I was thinking about walking over there, but not enough to buy a ticket beforehand. Yeah, okay. Well, you were part of the problem. You know, it was great at NYU. Just, you know, they had this street, Bleecker Street, that was filled with bars that all had cover bands. And there was oh, this wow. one in particular, the a rock and roll cafe, I think it was called. And every night you could see basically Rush or Jimi Hendrix or The Doors or The Beatles. And it was like, they're just as good. It was a golden era. <laughs> just as good. <laughs> it was like going to the Epcot what, Center. Listen, you, know? you know what, though? To be honest, think about it. Technically, they it's were like the same. It's the showcase of the, the world. Same. If you like those bands, I mean, uh, obviously, there's a premium for getting to say, like, oh, I saw Robert Plant and Jimmy Page on stage. Yeah, there's a premium for that. But, but it's if you like, just want to hear the songs the way that they sounded in the recording, right. you and go but, see a cover but, band. Li- but live, yes. it's kind of great. It I, is great. It's true. Good. And, they, and they, li- they probably do it better than the real people would do it. Probably because the know? real people now would want to mix as much. it up. Yeah, they would want to mix it up. And, <laughs> and, they, and, and they play only the hits, obviously. You know, it's, it's actually... Don't 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 knock it. Yeah, one of the reasons why I <laughs> love knock the tribute bands. One of the reasons why I love Tears for Fears at Bonnaroo is because they played they they had this relationship with the audience where like, look, we know what you guys want to hear, and we're gonna play those songs the way that we know you want to hear them. And they fucking nailed every single one of them. Yeah. And it was honestly like one of the best shows I've seen in ages. Yeah. That's the best. They the were still excited about it. Of course, and you know, good bands that have good songs stay excited about them their whole career. Yeah, I heard interviews with the Eagles. They're like, these are great songs. What am I going to do? What, write new shit? Well, we can't talk to each other, but we'll play them for them. <laughs> we had a, a bit. We didn't it never shot it where, where there was a Stella thing where we got Tom Petty to come play at a big party, and we were all excited. And they, and they get there and they're like, all right, what are you going to start with, American Girl or what? And they're like, no, tonight's all new shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, what do you mean? We're like, no, it's new shit. <laughs> but I actually was in tribute bands as a kid. I was in an REM tribute band and a Smiths tribute band. Wow. What are those names of those bands? Uh, this Charming Band yep. and Seven Chinese Brothers. Nice. Are you, are you friends with April Richardson? No. April uh, is, is a comic. Oh, she does the Smiths. Uh, the guitar tutorials on YouTube? Is that no, 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 no. Oh. No, she's the kind of I mean, uh, what? Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> she opens for me on the, on the road, and she's doing a tour right now called Louder Than Bombing, where she's basically following Morrissey on tour and then doing shows along the way. Oh, wow. It's like, like she'll see Morrissey one night and then do a show at a smaller venue, obviously a smaller venue the next night. What does oh, she do if great. Morrissey does back-to-back nights? Well, then she just has to f- – she'll, she'll go to both Morrissey shows – and then stick oh, around. Oh, that's the priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. She, like, she's in it for real. She's not... That's she's awesome. Not, not fucking around. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, I mean, I, I, Smiths are incredible. Come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Morrissey's one of those guys where you're like, is he going to show up? Is he not going to show up? You don't know. Yeah. Like, he has this interesting relationship with his audience where the hardcore fans go like, listen, sometimes he gets a little moody. We don't know what he's yeah. going to do. <laughs> Maybe we'll all show up at a venue and then Morrissey just will not be there. But they all accept that about him. It's the most in- interesting relationship. That's weird. <laughs> Especially as you get older, you're like, God damn it, I had to also, park. I'd get a babysitter and everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know that there's a Smiths cover band here in L.A. that has got an enormous uh, Latino following. Yes. Sweet Tender Hooligans. Yeah. And there's like they're bigger than Smiths everywhere. El Maz. Like, yeah. he's, very, he's very popular. And Tom Lennon plays with them from time to time. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Well, Tom does have kind of a young Morrissey aesthetic to him. Well, Tom's huge in the Smiths. Yeah. yeah. 
Sean's yeah. got the Johnny Marr Jaguar, Fender Jaguar, too. Oh, he does? Yeah, the signature model. Oh, God. Jenny got it for him for oh, his God. birthday a couple years I, ago. It scares me to think what you would do with Tom's money. Like, it scares me <laughs> <laughs> to think what you would do, like, how many guitars... Oh, I'd just have like instead of thirty-two, I'd probably have a hundred and two. Do you think there's a uh, do you think there's a, a limit, or do you just feel like that it's sort of like a limit to Tom's money? No, no. <laughs> I mean, is there a yeah, limit? Yeah, no, I've been to the house a lot. There is. Is there no. a limit to what you would like, or it'd be like a goldfish? Like the bigger the bowl, like the more stuff you would. No, have. it would just turn into like the you know my my acquisitions would get larger. Like I'd go like, oh, I need a pre C I need a pre CBS lefty Fender Strat. Honey, did you buy Dave Matthews? <laughs> like Dave's just in your house. Just you know what him. I would do? I would give it to charities to help the world uh, people who need, are in need. That's Boring. So admirable. That's so admirable. Boring. Really. <clears throat> what? Because you don't do that, the whiteboard? The what? What's <laughs> <laughs> that now? Seems pretty cool. I mean, if I had a lot of money, if you had a lot of money, would you give it to charity? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're all speaking hypothetically. Someday. Someday. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, someday. I would, I would pay someone. Barely scraping by now. <laughs> hmm. Oh. These t-shirts are a ruse. I like to go look at what the white collars are doing and go, someday! <laughs> I want to know what David would buy. What would you I buy? would build a squash court in my house. <laughs> oh, you, you play really? squash with uh, Mosier. My I do, yeah, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's a different podcast. <laughs> Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Don't want to talk about it here. Katie, take that out immediately. But you guys can all, we can play squash. Yeah. Um, I would probably build a squash cart and, and a recording studio in my house. I'd have somebody do set up all that. And then I'd have somebody running an engineering, like, on call. Just on call, 24-7. When I feel like, you know, 8 yeah. at 9, I'm just like, oh, let me lay down something here. And they'd have to be a talented producer, though. See, I'd probably fun. get, like, uh, Bob Clearmountain. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what I do. If you had that money. I mean, if like, I had some, someday, money. someday. Someday. These are just these dreams that you just sort of write down, <laughs> you know? And maybe get a car. Yeah, oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, instead of Ubering everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you have to Uber? No, I have a car. Okay, okay. But I actually have never bought a car. I, I did a, ser- an, a, a season of my web series, Wainy Days, that was sponsored by the Fiat company when they were first coming back to the United States. Oh, that's awesome. And they gave me a car instead of paying me, which I then calculated later was being he- heavily underpaid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, did you happen to also calculate what their cost is to build the car? Because then you're even more underpaid right, than exactly. you think you are. Like, I was like, oh, maybe oh. I should have taken the cash and bought an, no no a, we uh, gave you the six thousand dollars <laughs> but i <laughs> still uh, that's what technically i really too yeah but i have this tiny little yellow fiat that's uh, that's awesome though it's great. no i love it i think it's pretty rad because i because i didn't live in la until recently and so I didn't it's funny it. that it's funny that you say recently but it recently is two years two years and to your kids are probably like we've been here forever well my four-year-old doesn't even remember new york which yeah. is inc- incredible so selfish what a joke. Well, that's Kids part of this vacation. So on force them to remember. Oh, I get it. You don't even care about what happened from zero to two. <laughs> I gotta I'm sorry. Sl- I'm going to slam him on Twitter later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to Twitter war with your four-year-old. <laughs> hey, man. What's up, dude? Come on. So, uh, what American Summer is it? July 29th? July 31st. July 31st. All episodes on Netflix. And uh, there's going to be a fun screening at the Autry uh, Theater in L.A. And there's uh, on August 1st. That's right by the zoo. That's by the zoo mm-hmm. outside of the original movie. And they might be previewing the series. And then the same kind of thing also on July 15th in New York City at the McCarran Park. Nice. July 15th? July 15th. Yeah. It's coming up awesome. real soon. David Wayne. Thank you so much. I love being here. It's good to see you. You guys Thanks. are great. Come on at midnight when you want to fuck around. Yeah. Make, keep making stuff. Yeah. Let us know if you need anything. You know, if you want us to pop up as weird characters and anything you're working on. Well, the one thing I would ask is could I come back and be the guest for tomorrow? 
For what? Mm. For the next Nerdist podcast? Mm. Oh. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not, we're, this is, this is the last one. Oh, all right. Yeah. yeah we're, this is, all right, well, I'll give you my number and you can call me if that changes. No, yeah. We, we're wrapping this up. We actually, both, we all don't have phones now. Yeah. We, oh, okay. Jess got rid of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we're going to move out into the forest. So. It's a great scene, though. <laughs> yeah, it was good, though. I hope everything works out. This is awkward, but, um, everything yeah. works out. But all right, let me, uh, we can do blast. in the forest. Mm-hmm. Anything we can do. I'll leave my email. It's if you fine. want some yeah. pine needles, we'll send you some pine needles. Or um... I don't do gluten, but I, I would. Otherwise, thank you. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 